Welcome to the Weekend Pulpit of Everyday Truth. We are currently in a series of messages studying the life of Elijah and considering the ups and downs of serving God. Hope you enjoy. God bless. We've been studying the, the life of Elijah on Sunday mornings, and we're in a section in 1 Kings chapter number 19 where Elijah has really been struggling. Uh, he has felt all alone. He wants to give up. God has been dealing with him. God has been teaching him. And now God is, in essence, recommissioning him to the work. Elijah isn't fully there yet. Elijah has offered the same answer to God twice. Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah said, Lord, I'm here because your people have failed you. And they have worshipped Baal and nothing has changed. And I've not made a difference. And I'm the only one. And then God showed Elijah some things. He, he passed by him. Uh, the wind and the, the earthquake and the fire. Uh, God wasn't in the wind. He passed by, but he, he used those things, but he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. But then a still, small voice. Remember that? The still, small voice of God. Uh, God was in that voice. And God was saying, Elijah, uh, I have a plan for my people. Uh, I am not giving up on my people. Uh, that might not look to, right now like everything is going the way you think it should have gone. But just like Moses was in this very cave, and just as Moses had to be reminded of me that my people are going to have their ups and downs, but my covenant with them will not change. Uh, I'm committed to them. And there is a remnant of people that are serving me. And so Elijah, you need to get back to work there's still a plan that I have for your life. And what's interesting is 1 Kings chapter 19, this is a low point in Elijah's life. But what Elijah does after 1 Kings chapter 19 is much greater than what Elijah does before 1 Kings chapter number 19. Now think about it. Elijah in this chapter said, Lord, I'm done. I quit. It's enough. Take my life. I'm done. And yet 15 more years Elijah serves God. 15 more years, God uses him in a profound way to make a difference. Only five years has Elijah been serving God before 1 Kings chapter number 19. So you might say three times as much ministry takes place in Elijah's life after he thought he was done. Maybe this morning you think you're done. Maybe this morning you've come to the Lord and Lord, I, you know, my best days are behind me. I've served you. I'm a little bit disillusioned. Uh, I want to give up. It's enough. Uh, maybe some of the same excuses or some of the same rationale that uh, Elijah used, maybe you're using. And yet I believe that God has a plan and a purpose. I believe that God wants to encourage us. And what are the ways by which God encouraged Elijah? What are the ways by which God encourages you and me? How did God lead Elijah back to a place of fruitful ministry? And can God lead me? Can God lead you back to a place of fruitful ministry? The answer is resoundingly yes. Yes, he can. How did he do it? In 1 Kings chapter number 19, I call this Elijah's second win. Maybe that's what you need today. Second win. Let's see what God has for each one of us this morning. Father, bless the message. We need your help as always. We know that your word is inspired. We know that your word is effective, and we know that your word is needed. And I pray that you would help us in these moments to, 
to receive it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. I pray that you would speak on the inside, do a work of conviction, of help, of encouragement. I pray, Lord, that as we leave this room in just a few moments, that you would help us to leave in a way that is different than the way that we came in, uh, with a new information, with new purpose, uh, with, a, with a second wind. Help us, Lord, today to uh, receive and to apply the message that you have for us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look at 1 Kings chapter number 19. And we're going to read a verse we read last week in verse 15. And then jump right back into uh, the, the rest of the chapter. Look at verse number 15 uh, of our text where the Bible says, And the Lord, so Elijah now has seen God. He's heard the still small voice. And now in that voice, God is speaking to him and says unto him, go, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. That's far away. He's at Mount Sinai right now. That's far away. He's to go all the way back up through his own country, uh, beyond his own country to Damascus in Syria. That's a long way away, maybe 300 miles, a long way away. Elijah, I've got a place for you to go. I've got something for you to do. What, what is that? Well, the Bible tells us in verse number 15, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. How interesting. Uh, the Syria is the nation north of Israel. The Syria is not even, it's part of the international community. Uh, Elijah received this message from the Lord and what's interesting is God led him to the wilderness of Damascus. And then the Bible says in verse 16, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. So in other words, God says, I have a plan that encompasses the international community. I have a plan that encompasses the, the domestic community. In other words, I am in control internationally. I am con in control nationally. And then he says in verse number 16, And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And Elijah I, Elijah, I also have a plan, can I say it this way, religiously. So internationally, nationally, and then religiously. I mean that in every good sense of the word religion. Religiously. In other words, my plan encompasses all spheres. I'm in control of, of everything. And Elijah, you're going to see that. Look at verse number 17. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword, that means the sword of judgment, of retribution, the sword of Haziel, shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu, that will be the king of Israel to come, shall Elisha slay. And look at verse number 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. So important is this principle that even the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11 refers to it. So in Romans chapter 11, when it seems as if Israel has rejected God, when it seems as if only the people that are Gentiles are being saved, when it seems as if Israel has rejected Messiah, God reminds the Apostle Paul, who reminds us in the book of Romans, that just as it was in Elijah's day, when it seemed like most people didn't serve God, most people didn't follow God, there was a remnant of people that did, both in Elijah's day and in Paul's day and in our day as well. So the Bible says, yet have I reserved uh, to me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, every mouth which hath not kissed 
him. So how did God help Elijah to get a second wind? Uh, what, what, what did God do? Let me give you two main thoughts in the service this morning. First of all, how did God deal with the desperate aloneness of Elijah? First question, how did God deal with the desperate aloneness of Elijah? Now, was Elijah alone? In some ways. But was Elijah alone in the way that Elijah thought that he was alone? The answer is no. The answer is no. Elijah was not alone in the way that Elijah thought he was alone. Elijah thought, I'm the only one. Elijah thought, I'm not making a difference. Elijah thought, nobody else serves God. Elijah said, all the prophets are gone. And yet none of that was true. None of it. And so God had to remind uh, Elijah, listen, your thinking is wrong. And your thinking ultimately is why you want to quit. And so the change needs to be, first of all, a change of thinking. That's why the Bible places so much emphasis on the renewal of our mind. Why? Because uh, our thinking changes, then our behavior changes. So our thinking needs to, be, needs to be changed by imbibing right information. So God gives Elijah the right information so that he can have think the right way, so that he can act the right way. So how does God deal with the aloneness that Elijah so desperately feels? Okay, number one, I think God gives him a job to do. God gives him a job to do. Now, we ended the message last week talking about this, that God recommissioned Elijah uh, Elijah, I, I've got something for you to do. I've got a place for you to go. I've got a ministry for you to fulfill. Hey, I've got a plan for your life. Now, Elijah thought there's nothing for me. Elijah thought there's no future for me. And God brought him back to the place of the covenant. He brought him back to the place of Sinai. Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? In other words, why did I send you here? Uh, I know, but do you know, Elijah, why I brought you here? Because Moses struggled like you did. Moses was in this very cave. Moses was on this very mountain. Moses thought that he was the only one, and yet he was not the only one. And Moses thought that I was done with Israel, but I was not done with Israel. And so just as I commissioned Moses here, so I commissioned you here, recommissioned. Just as I encouraged Moses, I encouraged, just as I showed Moses who I am here, I show you who I am here. So it's a recommissioning of Elijah's life. And what does God say? God says, Elijah, there's a place for you to go. There are things for you to do. You know that God has created us to fulfill good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them? For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. You know what that means? That means as a believer, God has things for you to do. And that, that doesn't mean that you're, the sum total of your life is, I'm just a doer. No, uh, you are someone who walks with God and knows God and loves God. But born out of that relationship with God ought to be activity. Born out of that relationship with God ought to be a task orientation. Born out of that relationship with God ought to be a faith that works. And so what did God do for Elijah? Uh, God put Elijah in a place where he could see God in a way that he never saw God before. He put Elijah in a place where he could know God in a way that he never knew God before. Where he could be affirmed in the word of God in a way that he had never been affirmed before. But from that place, God had a place for Elijah to go. And what does God want for you? What does God want for me? God wants us to be affirmed in our faith. God wants us to know God in a way that we've not known him before. God wants us to be affirmed in our purpose in a way that we've never been affirmed before. But the affirming and the knowing have a purpose. And that purpose is that in that refound faith, in that re-energized faith, we can go forward and get back 
to work. And so how did God help Elijah? He helped Elijah in all the ways we talked about last week, but he helped Elijah by saying, Elijah, I am affirming my presence, my word, my plan in your life so that you can get back to work. And that's God's plan for you. Uh, Elijah went back to the same places. I mean, he didn't, God didn't call him to China. God didn't send him off to India somewhere. God put him right back to the same arena from which he had come. Same Damascus, same Syria, same Israel, the same problems, the same Baal worshipers, but a different Elijah. That's what God wants to do for you. He wants to send you back to that same marriage, to that same family, to that same workplace, to that same group. No, they may not have changed, but you can change in your alone time with God. They need you. They need a re-energized you. They need a re-commissioned you. They need a you that spent time with God. I love the story there in Luke chapter 2. We typically tell it at Christmas time. How that the shepherds uh, uh, saw the angel of the Lord, that great heavenly host, there in those fields that night, that Christmas night. And uh, they went from that place and found the baby uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And remember, uh, they worshipped him there. and They left that manger and went back to the same fields. They started the night in the fields, just shepherds pulling third shift. But now they go back to those same fields. Hey, same fields, same sheep, different shepherds. Same fields, same sheep, different shepherds. Why? Because now they know something they didn't know before. Now they have a a glimpse of God they never had before. Now they have a a purpose and, and a perspective they never had before. And the greatest change that needs to take place in your life is not a change in your circumstances. The greatest change in your life that needs to take place is not that gone, him gone, and uh, she needs to get out, and uh, he needs to change. No, listen, that might happen, but the biggest change that needs to happen in your life is right here in your heart. And God sends him back to work. God gave him a job to do. But not only did God give him a job to do, I think number two, God gave him a glimpse of the future. I love this. God gave him a job to do, but God gave him a glimpse of the future. Look at what it says here in verse number uh, uh, 16. You're going to go to Haziel, the end of verse 15. You're going to go to Jehu, 16, Elisha, 16. And here's what they're going to do. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to exercise judgment in some, in some scope. Haziel and Jehu and Elisha. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to meet these guys, and these guys are going to do this. Now, does God give specificity? No. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this, that the way that God unfolds this is very nebulous. And I'll, I'll, t- I'll say this, that Elijah doesn't even anoint Haziel. Uh, uh, Elijah does, he, he, it, it's, it's, it's Elisha that anoints Haziel. So it's almost like God saying, Elijah, you're responsible for this, but it's not even going to happen in your lifetime. And Jehu, Eli- Elijah doesn't anoint Jehu. Neither does Elisha anoint Jehu. You know who anoints Jehu? Elisha's servant. So it's almost as if God is saying, Elijah, I've got a plan that includes you, but it's not only you. And I've got a plan that includes you, and uh, you've got to do your part, but it's not all about you. And uh, my, my plan transcends your lifetime. So it's impossible for you, Elijah, to understand all of what I'm doing because you have one little window that you look at called life. You have two uh, human eyes that you look at and you take, uh, you, take, uh, uh, you take stock of a situation by smell and sound and sight and hearing. And I've got a much bigger plan than all of that, said God. And so what is God doing? God's saying, so let me just uh, peel back 
uh, the curtain for just a moment. Let me show you a two-minute trailer of the movie to come and show you that I've got things under control. Internationally, I've got things under control. Nationally, I've got things under control with my people. I've got things under control. You know that God shows you the future too? You don't think he does, but he does. I'm not talking about some medium with a crystal ball either. I'm talking about the word of God tells you the future. God tells you some things about your future. Does he tell you everything about your future? Of course not. I often said, if I could know my future, I'd want to know where I'm going to die. Because then I would never go there, right? Okay. But we don't know everything about our future. But we do know some things. We know this. Jesus Christ is coming again. We know that. We know that on this earth, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. The Bible tells us that. We know that after the tribulation, Jesus Christ will come back with his saints and set up rule and reign on planet Earth for 1,000 years. We know that. Uh, we know that one, one day that even the devil himself will be consigned forever to the lake of fire. There'll be a, a wonderful new day called the day of the, the dawning of, uh, of, of, of eternity when there'll be new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, out, from God out of heaven. And we'll dwell forever. We know some things about our future. Now, why? Why does God tell us things about our future? Not to tantalize our interest, not to satisfy our curiosity. God tells us things about our future for one reason, that we would live better in our present. That's what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? In other words, if everything truly does uh, pass away, if all that matters on earth is, is people and eternal values, then how else should we be living right now? That's what God says to Elijah. Elijah says, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you, get back to work. There's a job for you to do. I've got a place for you to go. I've got works prepared for you to fulfill. But beyond that, Elijah, let me just give you a little glimpse, just a little snippet of the future. I got it under control. I've got life planned beyond your life. Okay, so Elijah, just get in step. I've got this. But not only does God tell him that he has a job for him to do, and then God gave him a glimpse of the future. But I would say, number three, God gave him someone to invest in. So important. God gave him someone to invest in. Look at verse number, uh, uh, number 16 again. And uh, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So Elijah, you're, you're not going to live forever. Actually, he kind of did live forever. He never did die. But uh, anyway, uh, you're, you're not going to be on earth forever. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Elijah, there, uh, you need, there's a replacement for you. There's Elisha. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to invest in somebody right away. You know, it's interesting. God gave him three people that he was to influence. He never met two of them. He did influence them, just as God said, but through other people, indirectly, through other people. Hey, Jehu was three kings away. It was Ahab, and then it was Ahaziah, and then Elijah died, then it was Joram, and then it was Jehu. And Jehu destroyed the, the whole uh, lineage of, of Ahab. So that was way beyond Elijah. But the point is this. The point is that, uh, that God had it all under control, and God had immediately somebody for him to invest in. You'll not meet Haziel, you'll not meet, meet Jehu, but Elijah, he met him right away. 
I mean, Elijah left this place. The very first person he met on the way home was Elijah. Elijah was farming, uh, standing behind a yoke of oxen, and God brought Elijah into Elijah's life. You know how God often helps us? He often helps us by giving us people in whom we can invest. That's God's plan. And can I just say this? The greatest investment in your life is a one-on-one investment. Like, I, I love preaching. I, I love preaching to crowds of people. I, I enjoy it. It's part of, part of my DNA. But can I just say this? I have a relatively negligible influence in your life. I'm glad to be your pastor. I love pastoring this church. You're my friends. I love that. But my influence in your life pales in comparison to your spouse's, to your mom, to your dad, to your brother, to a faithful Mentor. No, the real influence that's made in life is influence that's made one-on-one. And God called Elijah, not necessarily to a national preaching ministry, but he said, Elijah, really the rest of your life is going to center around three individuals, two of whom you'll never meet. Now, he didn't know that now, but he will know that. And you're going to meet Elijah, and you're going to invest in him. Boy, you see that all throughout the Bible, how God gives Moses, Joshua, how he gives Eli, Samuel, how he gave Saul, David. And Saul blew it, but he gave gave him that person to serve wise-heartedly. And God does that. He gave gave Ruth, he gave Naomi, Ruth. Then he gave Boaz, Ruth. He brings people into our life, selfless, godly people to make a difference in our life. And sometimes that helps the person we're investing in, but that also helps the person that's making the investment. You know, instead of sitting around and crying over spilt milk and God, why am I here? And I'm not making a difference and I can't do anything. Why don't you ask God to help you find somebody you can invest in? One person. One person you can pray for, love, encourage, help, mentor. You say, I can't reach the whole world and I can't do what someone does. So what so-and-so does. So what? Can you invest in one person? And God helped Elijah in his aloneness by giving him a job to do. And God helped Elijah in his aloneness by giving him a glimpse of the future. And God helped Elijah in his aloneness by giving him someone to invest in. And God helped Elijah in his aloneness by giving him an expanded view of his present situation. Don't miss this. He gave him, he gave him a, a help and his aloneness by giving him an expanded view of his present situation. Okay, here's the bottom line. The bottom, bottom line is you don't know what's going on. You think you know what's going on. I think I, I've got my situation figured out. I think I know all the players. I think I know all the ramifications. I think I know all the contingencies, but I don't, and neither do you. You don't know. You don't know entirely what God's doing in your life right now and why he's doing it. Why am I here? Why, why am I sick? And why did this happen? And you don't entirely know. Now, sometimes God lets you know. Sometimes he lets you know partly. And we know in part, right? We prophesy in part. Sometimes you see through a glass dark, but you don't know. And one day you will know. So what the Apostle Paul said is, hey, when it comes to my ministry, I don't know all that I'm accomplishing. I don't know why God sent me. Uh, Philip says, I don't know why God led me from Samaria down to the desert and talked to one person, but God knows I'm not the curator of influence. God is. 
No, my job is not to figure it out. My job is to, my job is to obey him and let him figure it out. And so what God says to Elijah is, Elijah, I've given you a little snippet into your future, but now let me give you a little expanded view of your present situation. Let me tell you something that you could not possibly know. And what did God tell Elijah that he could not possibly have known? Uh, We'll look at verse number 18. Here's what he says. Yet, God says to Elijah, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. How could Elijah possibly have known that? I mean, there wasn't a website with a private Facebook group that said, oh, the 7,000, you know, they meet here. No, no one knew that. They didn't know each other. These 7,000 prophets were dotted all throughout the country. Some had been arrested. Some were being hidden by Obadiah in caves. Some were hiding in wilderness spots. Some were by brooks like perhaps Elijah was. But none of them had ravens to feed them and none of them had widows to feed them. No, they had survived that three and a half years, 7,000 of them. Elijah was one of them. And God said to Elijah, Elijah, let me let, let, me let you in on something that you don't know and no one else knows, and that is there are 7,000 prophets, and I know who they are, and I know the, where they are, and I know how many there are. And God says that to you through his word. God says, I, I know you're going through it today. And the devil loves to isolate. That's what carnivores do, right? They isolate their prey. They isolate their prey. He wants you to be isolated. He wants to whisper in your ear, yeah, no one knows what you're going through. No one's ever been through this before. And what God says to you, based upon the authority of his word, is no, there is a remnant. There are people just like you and just like me going through the things that just like we go through. And God's reminding, he's expanding your present situation. I'm going to tell you something. When you think about the struggles and problems of other people, Boy, it helps put your struggles and problems in perspective. Like there are people today that won't eat. Not because they don't want to, but because they can't. Because they're starving. Like 25% of the world's children's population is malnourished. There are Christians today that will suffer a martyr's death in hot spots all around the world. And more people die for Christ today than have died for Christ in in recorded history today, these days. Sometimes God wants to remind us that, listen, sometimes in our American first world problem Christianity, we think we got it so bad. Now, I'm not trying to diminish what you're going through, but what I'm saying is this. There are many, many others. And God helps us to find commonality in the remnant that exists. It's an expansion of our present understanding. I think, first of all, he says, I know every one of my followers. I know where they are. I know who they are. I know how many there are. And then I think he says to us, you don't have enough information to render an accurate assessment. You don't have enough information. You don't, you think you know how bad your life is. You think you know how poor things are. You think you know that you can't go on. And God says, you do not have enough information to make an accurate assessment. You don't. It's like Elisha's servant that came out of the city of Dothan and saw the whole city surrounded by the army of Syria and said, oh, what are we going to do? We're goners for sure. And Elisha said, Lord, just open his eyes. Open his eyes. And what did the servant of Elisha see? He saw the army of God surrounding the army of Syria. It's like God has your problems surrounded. He couldn't see it. 
He couldn't see it until God says, I'm going to let you see just this one thing so that in seeing this one thing, you'll know I'm in charge of everything. Sometimes God shows you one thing so you'll understand he's the God of everything. And God was showing Elijah all that. He was dealing with Elijah's aloneness, just like he deals with yours and mine aloneness. Then secondly, and lastly this morning, not only do we see how he dealt with the desperate aloneness of Elijah, but watch this, number two. What, what kind of person did God bring into Elijah's life? Because as I said before, God's in the business of strategically placing people with people. That's how he does it. God, God brings people to people. You know, God, God brought Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, God brought Barnabas to Saul. God brought Ananias to Saul in Damascus. He brought Barnabas to Saul in Jerusalem. God brings people to people. That's what he does. Just at the right time, at the right moment, that's what God does. God brought Timothy to Paul at a time when Paul said, I'm just, I'm struggling here. And God brings people to people. How, who did, whom did God bring to Elijah? What kind of person? Look at it. Verse number 19 in closing. So he departed thence. Elijah obeyed what God had told him. Didn't know all the future, but he knew enough of the future to take the next step. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. This was a couple hundred miles away, by the way, along the journey. This was several days, uh, weeks into the journey for Elijah. This is along the Jordan River in a place called Abel Mahola. And he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. What was he doing? Well, the Bible says he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. He was with the 12. That, that's a big farming operation. 12 yoke of oxen. Assuming there's two oxen per yoke, and there could have been more, but assuming it's just a standard yoke of oxen, that's 24 oxen. That's an amazing. Uh, that, that's a big field. That's a big operation. And Elijah, Elijah, he's with the 12th, and, and here comes Elijah, the Bible says. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Never said a word. Never said, hey, Elijah, let me have a conversation with you. No, he just took his... Mantle off, and by the way, the mantle of a prophet was very distinct. Hairy and had a certain look to it. Read about it in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 4. And so he took that mantle and he threw it on Elisha. Elisha knew exactly what that symbol meant. Elisha knew that this means that, that I'm the mentee, that I'm the protege, I'm the one, I'm the follower of. He knew that. I'm being asked to follow. The mantle fell upon him. And watch what Elisha does in verse number 20, and he left the oxen. He immediately stopped what he was doing. It's, it reminds me of the woman at the well. Well, she left her water pot there and went back into the city and said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And here's Elisha immediately apprehending what God has done in his life. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. Well, I love the urgency. He left the oxen. Hey, wait, wait. Ran after Elijah, said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow thee. Hey, hey, let me say goodbye. I'm coming, I'm coming. Let me say goodbye. And watch what Elijah says here in verse number 20. And he said unto him, go back again. In other words, I, 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 that's fine. You can do what you want. You can say goodbye. For what have I done to thee? That's a little bit confusing uh, the way it's translated in English. But what that means is, hey, uh, he's, not, he's, he's saying, you can go back. I didn't call you. God called you. 
Uh, I, I'm not saying you can't do that. You, you go back, you know, uh, but, but understand the weight of God's call upon your life. So he's not rebuking Elisha. He's not saying, Elisha, you can't go. He's just saying, Elisha, understand the importance of what's happening. So watch what Elisha does in verse number 21. And he returned back from him. So he says goodbye to mom and dad. He returns back from him. He took a yoke of oxen, probably the yoke of oxen that he had been plowing the field with. He took the yoke of oxen and slew them. So he he slew both of the the oxen. He boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen. What did he use for firewood? The yoke. He takes the yoke that, that has bound the oxen. He uses that as firewood, boils the water, makes the meal. Then the Bible says, and gave unto the people. So this must have taken some time. He gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So what kind of person, what kind of person did, what kind of person did, did God bring into Elijah's life? Okay, let me give you three thoughts. First of all, he brought a person into Elijah's life who was faithful to worship God. Now don't miss this. He brought a person into Elijah's life who was faithful to worship God. Up until now, Elijah has had nobody. Elijah had ravens. Elijah had uh, a foreign widow. Elijah had nobody at Mount Carmel. Elijah had two instances briefly with an angel that provided a meal for him on the way to Mount Sinai. Elijah has basically spent the last three and a half to five years by himself. And now God says, I'm going to bring somebody into your life who's been faithful to worship me. He's been through what you've been through. He's same drought, same faithfulness. He's one of the 7,000. I brought him to you. You know, there's, there's nothing more encouraging to a hurting soul than somebody that has like mindedness. When God brings somebody into your life that loves the God you love, that serves the God you serve, that knows the God that you know. That, that's what God did for Elijah. He brought him in. There was, this, there was this unspoken understanding that they were both followers of Jehovah. We do that even with our citizenship. You know, we, we travel to other countries. And if you ever traveled to another country, you recognize other Americans immediately. Why? They're the loud, obnoxious ones. Okay, You just do. Like, I mean, I, I, was, I remember I was in Germany once, uh, and the, the, my, the group had gone up the stairs to, to go to this castle. I'd seen the castle before, so I'm just sitting on a park bench uh, in, near Heidelberg, uh, Germany, and, and th- this, this couple walks by, and you can hear them talking English. It's like, oh, English. <laughs> they sat down. I sat down right now. I stalked them. I sat right next to them. After a while, I'm like kind of listening in. I said, where are you from? U.S.? Yeah, U.S.A., yeah. Where from? Oh, you, just a little town. But where? Pennsylvania. <laughs> me too, Pennsylvania. Where from? Oh, you wouldn't know it. I just try me. They named my town. <laughs> Leechburg. Like they were like, they were like literally three streets over from me. I met them. I said, yes! Now listen, if I were in the United States, you know, I saw them on the street, I wouldn't say, hey, USA, yes! But there was something about being the only ones in a strange place that brought a commonality. 
And what God was saying to Elijah is, I'm going to give you somebody in that, a, a place that's become strange with Baal worship. In a place where it seems like nobody serves me, I'm going to give you somebody who's a fellow worshiper. That, that's why it's important that we come to church. Why? Because we live in a world that increasingly says no to Christ. We live in a world that increasingly doesn't reflect the standards of Christ. But we can come to church and be with like-minded people and, and receive uh, a lo- the, the love and the provocation of good works that, that this brings. And God is encouraging Elijah by giving him somebody that's a faithful worshiper of God. But not only was Elijah faithful in his worship to God, he was committed to the call of God. So Elijah was committed. I mean, anybody that would obey God and go get fed by ravens is committed. Anybody that would go to a widow and tell her, hey, feed me before you feed your son his last meal, he's committed. Anybody that would stand in front of four, 850 false prophets, 450 of whom were the prophets of Baal, and, uh, and, and spend that day and call down fire from him, this guy is committed. And God brings a man in his life that has equal commitment because he sees this guy plowing a field. Now, what field is he plowing? The field that is now for the first time in four years ready for, ready, ready, for, ready for any kind of a harvest. He's plowing. This is the beginning of the season. For four years, it's not rained. There's been no crop. For four years, the business has tanked. Everything's been bad. Finally, now it's raining again. Finally, now things are growing again. Finally, now there's the prospect of, uh, of, of crops to grow again. Finally, we can get our family business out of the tank, right? Finally. And at that point uh, where all the success is in front of him, at that point where all of the good news is in front of Elisha, God comes to Elisha and says, you're done with this job. Come follow me. And Elisha said, no problem. I'm leaving. I ought to obey God rather than men. I'm going. Forsake, uh, uh, forsake all and follow him. He wasn't like the rich young ruler. He was like Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I'm going to forsake my nets and follow him. That was a lie. So God is giving Elijah a like-minded man, committed to the call of God. So committed that when he wants to, uh, when he wants to leave, he takes the very oxen that he's plowing with and kills them for food. He takes the very yoke of the oxen and burns it. Almost like saying, hey, I'm going to shut the back door here. I'm going to burn the bridge here. I'm not going to go back. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. That was Elisha. God is giving this like-minded, effervescent, faithful, called of God man to come alongside Elijah. You know, it's interesting. He, He cooks the oxen and he calls all the people. Now listen, many of the people, are, are, they're not followers of God. They're, they're, they're part of the country that's worshiping Baal. But Elijah calls everybody, calls all the people. Okay, we're going to eat. You know why? I'm going to go out and serve God. And I'm going to make this public. I want everyone, I want everyone, I want all my neighbors to know. I want all my family to know. I want all the townspeople to know. I want everyone to know that I'm following. This is not a private uh, decision. This is not a behind closed doors decision. This is not, I, I can turn back because no one knows. No, I'm letting the whole world know that I'm a follower of Jehovah God and I'm following this man and the God that he follows. Boy, that was an encouragement. That was an encouragement to Elijah. Faithful to the worship of God, committed to the call of God. But watch this lastly, he was a servant of the man of God. Do you know what God did? God brought somebody into Elijah's life that just served him. 
that this came. Elijah had been served before by a widow. Elijah had been served before by ravens. But now God is bringing somebody into his life that's going to serve him day by day. You know what the Bible says in another place? He poured water on the hands of the mass. We would say today, that's like somebody that would wash his feet. God was bringing somebody into Elijah's life to say, Elijah, I'm going to serve you. And for 15 years, anywhere between 10 and 15, but for the next 15 years, Elijah serves, prophesies, faces Ahab, does all the things that God calls him to do, and alongside of him, quietly, faithfully, is a man by the name of Elisha. How does God encourage us? I think that God encourages us by telling us to get back to work, getting a glimpse of the future, expanding our present perspective. I think he does that. But I think God also encourages us by bringing strategic people into our lives who love God, who follow God, and are willing to put themselves second and others first and live the life of a servant. I guess my question to you today is, who are you? Who are you? Are you Elijah in a cave saying, Lord, I give up? Are you Elisha coming alongside to say, I'm willing to serve? Are you one of the 7,000 you feel like I'm unknown and God knows where you are, who you are, how many you are? Are you part of the teeming multitude that just, none of this even matters? Because you know, this very story is included again in the Bible. Do you know that? This very story is included in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul said, uh, I'm so burdened for my people, Israel. Of all the people that I preach to, they should be the ones that most readily receive Jesus. Of all the people that I preach to, they're the ones that should, 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 should most readily understand the words of the gospel, but they're rejecting him. And the only people that seem to be being saved are Gentiles. And it's, it's so frustrating. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 11, but Elijah was frustrated the same way. And Elijah said, Lord, everyone's turned their back on you. And God told Elijah, oh, no, no, no. There are 7,000 that haven't. And even today, Paul said, there's a remnant. It looks like everyone's going this way, but wait a minute. Even today, there's a remnant that have received Christ that are following God. And God's encouragement to you and me is this. Hey, it, it was dark in Elijah's day, but God was in control. It was dark in Paul's day, but God was in control. It's dark in our day, but God is in control. Be encouraged.